Karl Barth was one of the great theologians of the 20th century, and for that matter, one of the greatest theologians in Christian history. And he was once asked, late in his life, what was the greatest truth that he had learned from his years of study of the Bible and of theology. And he said, I learned. Jesus loved me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. It's marvelous. Uh, you can tell from the bulletin this morning that I'm preaching on the subject of a baby. Before I get into that, I want to tell you a story that I told a few of you last Sunday just drinking coffee, but it's, uh, it's, a, it's an interesting, interesting story. Uh, the, uh, probably not true, but interesting. <laughs> the Pope was trying to get to the airport. He was in Washington, and he was trying to catch a plane back to Rome. He rushed out, and the limousine was waiting for him, and he told the driver of the limousine, get me to the airport. If you don't hurry, I'm going to be late. The driver was a devoted young Catholic man, and he said, yes, Father, I will do everything I can to get you to the airport on time. But he said, I need to, need to say, Your Eminence, that I cannot get another ticket. If I do, I'll lose my job. Pope said, fine, start driving. He started, he was going too slow. Pope was urging him on, hurry, son, or I'm going to miss my plane. And the young man kept saying, holy father, I can't go any faster. The Pope said, stop, let me drive, you get in the back seat. <laughs> so the Pope got behind the wheel and he was driving furiously down the uh, interstate toward Dulles Airport and a policeman came up behind him with the lights flashing and stopped the car car being driven also by a very devoted young Catholic boy. He walked up to the window, the Pope had lowered the window, and he looked in and he saw the Holy Father. He said, Your Eminence, I had no idea you were driving this automobile. Please excuse me for a moment. And he rushed back to his patrol car and he got the dispatcher on the radio. And he said, I have made a terrible mistake. I have stopped someone I should not have stopped. The dispatcher said, you did not stop a member of Congress, did you? <laughs> I mean, during, when they're in session, they're immune to everything. They can lie and steal and cheat and do anything they want to when they're in, when they're in session. Oh, no, he said, it's worse than that. It's worse than that. Oh, you could not have stopped someone that's a Supreme Court justice. The Catholic boy said, oh, it's worse than that. I said, don't tell me you stopped the vice president. Oh, he said, it's worse than that. He said, there can only be one thing worse than that. You didn't stop the president. Let me tell you, sir, it's worse than that. How can you have stopped anyone worse than the president? Who did you stop? He said, I stopped the Pope. And the dispatcher said, that's horrible. But the young policeman said, but that's not the worst. It's worse than that. How can it be worse than that? And he said, I don't know who's sitting in the back seat. <laughs> now,
I have my own idea about who's sitting in the back seat. And the title of my message this morning is who I think is sitting in the back seat. It's a baby. It's a baby. This story is true. A number of years ago in Houston, they summoned, erroneously of course, the records were wrong, they erroneously summoned a two-year-old child for jury duty. I believe that was a divinely inspired mistake. Because I believe a child is the final jury before whom we are all being judged. A child is the final jury before whom I, before whom I, and we as a church, and we as a nation are being judged. Sam Levinson said, and I quote, I believe that every newborn child arrives on earth with a message to mankind. Clenched in his or her little tight fist is some particle of unrevealed truth, some missing clue which may solve the enigma of man's destiny. He or she has a limited amount of time to fulfill his or her mission, and he or she will never get a second chance. Nor will we. He or she may be our last hope, and he or she must be treated as top sacred. Top sacred. Jesus treated children as top sacred. Matthew is quoting him in the 18th chapter. He called a little child and had him stand in the middle of them. He called a little child and had them stand in the middle of the disciples whole crowd. And he said, I tell you the truth. Unless you change, he's not talking to the child. He's talking to the folks following him. He's talking to people who had a, an inclination toward religion, who were listening to what Jesus had to say. He said to them, therefore to us, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, and whoever welcomes a little child like this in my name welcomes me. Do you know who we just had standing down here in front of us? We had Jesus. He said, whoever welcomes these little ones, helpless ones, 
welcomes me. Jesus said that we've got to change our attitude. Says that to me and says that to you, says that to us. Let me ask a, a question. What direction am I headed? What are the priorities in my life? I need to ask myself that periodically. What are my goals, my dreams, my hopes? What are my aspirations? What are yours? It really doesn't make much difference how fast we're going or what kind of car we're driving in if we're going in the wrong direction. And that can happen to me, can happen to you, can happen to us, can happen to a church, can happen to a nation. Unless you change. Isn't it interesting? Isn't it interesting that Jesus never told children they had to be adults? But he did tell adults, you've got to be childlike. Not childish, that's different. He did tell adults, you've got to be like children. Jesus never said to children, why don't you grow up? He did say to some adults, why don't you change and become like little children? Joseph Heller, the noted author, was asked, what do you... He said, if someone asked me what I want to be when I grow up, I want to be a child. What are the qualities of childlikeness? Well, we could, I'm going to mention a few. You could add to this. First of all, children are very, very simple. Life is pretty uncomplicated for them. Uh, they surprise us sometimes with their simplicity. In fact, they frustrate us sometimes with their simplicity, particularly when we buy them a gift that we think is marvelous, and they open it and play with the box. <laughs> and we keep trying to interest them in the gadgets, and they want the box. Simple things. Simple pleasures. They're receptive people. I look at Avery and Julia, and I look at the little faces in their minds. I know it's just absorbing everything that's going on around. Their little brains are computing all this information, these impressions that are flooding in upon them. And for a child, there is no yesterday and there is no tomorrow. It's just now. It's just right now. Now, I know we need to deal with some of the things out of the past, and we need to anticipate some of the things in the future, but Jesus was talking like a child when he said to us, look, quit worrying about all of those things. Take no thought for the morrow. We're going to take care of itself. In other words, what Jesus was saying was, you are missing the moment. Children don't, and the childlike don't. They're very receptive, immediate, instantaneous. What's happening to them? They're guileless. They're so honest. <laughs> they are so forthright. They just tell you what they think and what they feel. And they're so spontaneous in it. And so they're not cruel in what they say. They, they just cut through to the truth in such a marvelous way. Uh, you know, we're beginning to 
Bible study groups, two Sunday schools, two small, uh, two times when small groups get together for Bible study on the first Sunday in March. Nine o'clock, and we'll have a worship service in here, and we'll have small group Bible studies, Sunday school at nine o'clock, and then the same thing at 1045. We'll have worship in here and have Bible study going on. During some of those services, when we go to those services in March, I'm going to have a children's service in the worship. I'm going to have all the kids come up. We're going to have a children's service. <laughs> and I got to think about doing that, and I remember the story I told you a few years ago, uh, probably a true story, about this pastor who had a children's service. And all the kids up there on the platform, and he said, now tell me, what is brown and furry, has a long bushy tail, climbs trees, and collects nuts. Well, they all sat there. They were kind of, you know, all embarrassed in front of all the big people out there in big church. Nobody responded. And the pastor said, come on, what's brown and furry, has a bushy tail, and climbs trees and collects nuts. Looked at one little boy and said, Mark, I know you know the answer to that. And the little boy said, I know the answer is Jesus, but it sure sounds like a squirrel to me. <laughs> Isn't that Mark? Martha just read me this out of Reader's Digest. That's what made me think of that, uh, that story. Uh, another pastor was having one of those children's services, and he had all the kids up there on the platform, and uh, he was being kind of dramatic, and he said, All right, children, what do you have to do to go to heaven? One little boy said, Die. Now, I'd like to know how the pastor recovered from that deal. I don't say, oh, boy, this spontaneity, this, oh, it happened this morning to me. I'd been over with the XYZs. They're just packed out across the parking lot there and those marvelous things happening there. And I was over there visiting with them, drinking coffee just at the start of Sunday school, and I was coming back, and I ran into Steve and Debbie and Avery coming in. They had the car full of donuts. It was their day to bring donuts for Sunday school. And they stopped, and I came up to the window and started beating on the window, and Avery was in the back seat in her little seat, her little chair, and uh, lowered the window, and I started telling her how much I was loving her and loved her, and she had a big donut in her hand and a bite or two out of it and some on her face, and she was looking at me and just smiling, and I'd say, Avery, I love you, and she looked at me, and she said, Bo, go to church. So here I am, just like, just like Avery said, I'm in church. Oh my, the marvelous sense of wonder that children have to. You know, they wonder, everything's wonderful. It's all marvelous, <laughs> fantastic. A Ruskin, the English writer, said, I would rather live in a cottage and wonder at everything than live in Warwick Castle and wonder at nothing. We need to let God recreate within us the sense of wonder. We worry a lot. We don't wonder much. 
Our eyebrows come together in furrows. They're not raised in surprise. Wonder. Enthusiasm. They get enthusiastic about the most insignificant thing. General James Van Fleet was once asked, what is the one quality you would rather your child have than any other? And he answered, enthusiasm. Enthusiasm about life, enthusiasm about marriage, enthusiasm about work. That's one of the big problems in America today. We've lost our enthusiasm for excelling, for challenge, for being better, doing more. In theosism, it's a theological word. It means to be in God. Theos is the Greek word for God. Enthusiasm means when God gets in you, you get excited about everything that's going on in God's world and all of the potential in God's world for me and for you and for us. Enthusiasm. And then, of course, what is very obvious, and all of us have probably already thought, one of the basic ingredients of being childlike is to have faith. To have faith. Children just trust us instinctively. They trust. They don't have to work at it. They just trust. How terrible it would be to betray that trust. God doesn't. Sometimes he is represented to children in a way that is not consistent with his character. And we spend a lot of time in this church trying to help repair people who were injured by well-meaning but misguided individuals who were teaching and preaching a kind of God that's not revealed in the person of Jesus Christ at all. You know, it's, it's inconceivable to me that somebody would intentionally hurt a child. I just cannot imagine that. I, I can imagine just about every human failure and frailty, but I cannot imagine someone intentionally abusing a child. Verbally, physically, or sexually. I cannot imagine that. And let me say at, at this point, if you feel within you a, ten, a tendency to abuse, abuse directed toward a child or to your wife or toward your husband, verbally or physically, please, please, in the name of God, get some help. It's available. God has a power and God has people through counselors who know how to direct that power into your life that you will have a positive, creative relationship with others and not a negative, destructive relationship toward other people. Oh, listen, listen. I know that God says he will forgive us of all of our sins and all of our transgressions. And that means anything, however heinous, despicable, or contemptible it might be, 
God has promised to forgive us of everything, but I don't know that your child will. Or your wife will. To hurt someone who depends upon us and looks to us and trusts us is a serious, serious matter. I'd rather die right here on this spot, right this moment. I'd rather die than do anything that would cause my children or my grandchildren to be disappointed in me and my character. They know I make mistakes, and they know I fail. They know that, but I'm talking about a failure of character. Jesus had something pretty severe to say. Let me read it to you. 18th chapter of Matthew, I'm continuing. He says, whoever welcomes a little child like this in my name welcomes me, but if anyone, any individual, any church, any institution, political or educational, anybody that causes one of these little ones to fail, to, to sin, to be hurt, it would be better for him. Can you imagine anything being better for a person than what Jesus says? It would be better for him to have a large millstone hung around his neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. That's probably the strongest statement Jesus ever made. Now he is saying that if you and I have a problem in our relationships or if we have a tendency to hurt other people, we are grinding our own millstone. And at this juncture, let me say a word about the church. Not just ours, all of us. The church is about the only institution in our society that can effectively say anything on behalf of children. Everybody else has got their own group. AMA, ABA, NAACP, American Legion, Veterans of Foreign Wars, AFL, CIO, Thank God for any baby can and some institutions and organizations like that. But if there's one group of people on the face of the earth that ought to be saying to our community and to our state leaders and to our national leaders, put children first, it ought to be the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're the only people who can be a voice for those who can't speak yet. We can be the only people who can walk for those who can't stand up yet. And we should be the people who hold on and hold out for those who can de do neither yet. We're here to do that. And we're here to inspire our federal government to do exactly the same thing.
and our state government and our local government because we are being judged by a child. People were bringing little children to Jesus to have him touch them, Mark tells us, but the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. Listen to that. You ever think of Jesus as being indignant? He got indignant because of the way people were treating children. They were getting in their a child's way. He got indignant over that. His, clenched, his fist clenched and his eyes flashed. He said, he said to them, let the little children come to me. And don't you hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I tell you the truth, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, put his hands on them, and blessed them. Isn't that beautiful? You know how we can hurt children? We can not only hurt them by inflicting injury upon them, we can hurt them by being indifferent to the problems they face in life as individuals or as a church. I believe every child has the right to be loved. Every child has the right to be wanted. I believe every child has the right to health care, basic health care in this land of plenty. I believe every child has the right to a good education. I don't believe any of those should be reserved for the powerful and the privileged. It ought to be the right of every child. Whatever budgets we need to change and whatever priorities we need to reorder, we're being judged by a child. So we're not only not to, to hurt them, we're not to hinder them. We are to help them. And when you get to the Bible and start reading the word child, it applies to everybody who puts their faith and trust in the Lord. It not only applies to those who are literally children and literally small, it applies to all of us who are children of God by faith and we're all just infants in the kingdom of God. So we need to help each other. We don't need to be hurting each other. We don't need to be abusing each other. See, that little and last and lost and lonely, those are Jesus folks. And all of us are children. We've got a big brother, he's named Jesus. We've got a father named God. They love us and they want us to love each other. We in the family don't need to be hurting each other. We need to be praying for each other and helping each other. Bill Henson is pastor of one of the great churches in America. In fact, the largest Methodist church in America, First Methodist Church in Houston. And he and I have gotten to be friends uh, recently and have been together. Remarkable man, dedicated Christian, evangelical preacher, great church. And uh, Bill uh, was telling a story, told a story, about his daughter. His daughter... Married, had uh, beautiful little twin girls. Got the picture, Bill Henson, pastor, grandfather of twin girls. And the first twin born was healthier than the second. Stronger physically and more responsive early 
intellectually, in the, in other areas of life, development. And so they were concerned about it, naturally so. They wanted to do all they could to help both of them. But here the one that was having a little harder time. And Bill Henson's daughter telephoned him, the pastor, one day and said, Dad, uh, I'm concerned about the, the twins. And I'm particularly concerned about the littlest one. I don't remember what her name was. I, I'm concerned about the, the little one because her sister has started walking, taking her first few tentative steps. And she said, but the little one can't do that yet. And, and I'm worried about what it's doing to her, to her emotionally and psychologically. And uh, Bill Henson said, well, what does the little one do when the older, larger one is walking? What's her response? And his daughter said, oh, she just sits there and claps. <laughs> I don't know anything I've heard recently that touched me more than that. Some of us are stronger than others. And some of us are weaker than others. And we're all in one category or the other all the time and pretty much flowing back and forth in both of them, right? And what do we need from each other? Help one another. Love one another. In the family of God. And in the family of man. We stand before a child. I'd like you to do something a little different. I'd like you to bow your head and close your eyes. And before we sing an invitation hymn, Merle, I'd like you to play something very soft for just about 60 seconds. And for one minute of silence, I want you to ask yourself what God may have said to you in this hour. Through the music, through the message, through some impression or thought that crossed your mind. What does this all mean to you? <laughs> 